0: On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, it's science nerds, turds, and dead birds—an intriguingly titled panel of experts on digital comics, educational comics, and digital educational interactive comics—featuring comic book writer-illustrators Ezra Clayton Daniels and Charlie Lagreca, Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of Lion Forge Comics Andrea Colvin, writer Karen DeSev, and Creative Producer at the New York Hall of Science Geraldine Abenator. Plus, I talk about the fracturing relationship between Marvel and Netflix. Now, straight from the trustees' room at the New York Public Library, literally, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 33 for October 2018. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. Do yourself a favor, and me, do us both a favor, subscribe right now and never miss an episode. The love affair between Marvel and Netflix started so beautifully. It was the envy of production studios and content providers everywhere. In November 2013, Marvel Television and Netflix announced the creation of four new series exclusively for the streaming giant. These series were Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, to be followed by the team-up miniseries The Defenders. By 2017, Marvel fans had soaked up first seasons of All of the Above, a second season of Daredevil, and even 13 episodes of The Punisher, which spun out of Daredevil. 2018 was looking like the biggest year yet, with new seasons of all four of the core shows, 49 new episodes total of the street-level Marvel heroes. But then, on October 12th, Netflix and Marvel released a joint statement saying that Iron Fist Season 2 was its last. Wow. And then one week later, Luke Cage also gets the axe. Sweet Christmas! What's going on? Quick aside, if you didn't know, Sweet Christmas is Luke Cage's occasional catchphrase. I'd also use Iron Fists here, if he had one. The closest thing he has to a regularly repeated phrase is a somewhat defensive line reading of, I am the immortal Iron Fist, defender of Kun Lun, and I defeated a dragon in combat. And that doesn't quite roll off the tongue, so never mind. Okay, so let's break these cancellations down, because the conventional thinking is that Marvel content is the golden goose right now and delivers big ratings and big revenue. Netflix seemed to be all in, so what happened? The Iron Fist cancellation was a surprise, but anyone who's been paying attention would follow up any pearl-clutching declaration of, oh my goodness, I can't believe it, with a knowing sideways glance and raised eyebrow while judgmentally mouthing,
1: I knew it.
0: Iron Fist season one was not exactly a critical darling. It had its moments, most of those moments courtesy of Jessica Henwick as Colleen Wing, but the show was ultimately seen as the momentum killer of the Marvel Netflix family. Audiences were not in love with Finn Jones, who starred as Danny Rand. Criticisms were thrown at the dull supporting cast, the slow pacing, and the uninspired action choreography of what was meant to be a martial arts-focused show. And I apologize if Iron Fist Season 1 was your jam and I'm raining on your parade. I certainly don't think that it's Marvel's worst TV offering, but I really don't think there's a reason to drag Inhumans into this discussion. So. Iron Fist's recent season 2 was much better received, but perhaps it was too little too late for Netflix. Adding Luke Cage, a show that had been well received, onto the scrap heap so quickly afterwards is what makes this a story and has launched a hundred speculative internet articles about what's really going on. And we're not gonna let those articles have all the fun, let's start guessing wildly, shall we? Now, it's hard to know if bad ratings are responsible for the cancellations, the traditional first symptom to investigate when a show gets pulled, because Netflix doesn't release official viewership numbers. Both shows were doing well enough to get second seasons, so the temptation is to look for other causes. The Hollywood Reporter cited a source that claimed that creative differences and disagreements on terms for a third season were at fault in the case of Luke Cage. But were the creative differences between Marvel and Netflix? Or between showrunner Chio Hodari Coker and one of those companies? Are there issues over the length of the seasons? The budget? Netflix certainly doesn't seem to have any issues with spending money. Was it the drop-off in social media chatter for all of the Marvel Netflix shows as they hit their second, or in the case of Daredevil, third seasons? Personally, I don't think that you can discount the much bigger picture, which is that Disney is deep into planning for its own streaming service to launch at the end of 2019. Not only will it be going head-to-head with Netflix with its own original content, as well as the massive back catalogs from Disney and now 20th Century Fox, But Disney is actively ending their licensing contracts with Netflix now in order to pull their Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, and Disney-branded content back to the mothership to make the Disney streaming service the place to catch these movies and TV shows. So, is it possible that Netflix has simply ticked off and has dumped Iron Fist and Luke Cage in retaliation? They don't want to help promote the competition's brand and these shows were the most expendable? And if there's any truth to that theory, might Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and the Punisher need to be looking over their shoulders as well? Regardless of who or what is actually to blame for the cancellations, it certainly doesn't seem like these characters have reached their natural end. There are season 2 cliffhangers, people! Cliffhangers! And losing Luke Cage seems like even more of a bummer as it is one of the few genre TV shows that features a predominantly African-American cast. And it would not be cool to lose the diversity that Harlem's hero brings to the superhero landscape. So what happens next? Should these two shows get combined into a new Heroes for Hire series, which would partner Luke Cage and Danny Rand in the way that more closely mirrors their comic book friendship? Should those two characters get benched in favor of allowing their respective female leads, Detective Misty Knight and martial arts expert Colleen Wing, to take point in a Daughters of the Dragon series, which again mirrors their comic book partnership? Would it be cooler to see these characters return over on Disney's streaming service, or? Hear me out. Make the leap to the big screen with appearances in some big screen Marvel Studios offering. Fans have been asking for it for years, not necessarily these characters, but some of the TV characters. And the response from Marvel usually points out the dramatically different production schedules between TV and feature films and how difficult it is to align the properties. But hey, since Luke and Danny really are heroes for hire now, Why would Iron Fist not join Doctor Strange on some mystical adventure to the lost city of Kun Lun? Why would Luke Cage not drop off a resume to the Avengers? Of course, both of them have been in the Avengers in the comics at one point or another. When the Marvel-Netflix partnership was announced, I was so excited. I had great affection for these characters from the comics, and the shows have created some definitive portrayals of these characters. I know that the Marvel Netflix mini-kingdom won't last forever, but I'm not ready for it to get lost in the shuffle of the divorce proceedings between Marvel and Netflix. And right now, I don't know whether to brace for more bad news, or to expect some announcement right around the corner that's gonna make it the best Christmas ever. Correction, the best sweet Christmas ever. New York Comic Con 2018 brought its glorious nerdliness to Manhattan a few weeks back, Well, to at least the west side of midtown Manhattan, with cosplayers swarming between Penn Station and the Javits Convention Center. Honestly, New York Comic Con is such an enormous beast that it can no longer be realistically contained in the Javits Convention Center, as any attendee can tell you. Events are actually spread across multiple locations, including a full day's worth of dedicated educational panels at the New York Public Library. This is where you're most likely to find the teachers and librarians of the world checking in on the latest titles that might best serve their school collections and educational goals. And for 45 glorious minutes in the trustees' room at the library, you could bear witness to the panel Science Nerds, Turds, and Dead Birds, which assembled some of the leading creators in the world of digital comics, educational comics, and digital educational interactive comics. I had the privilege of hosting this panel featuring writer-illustrator Ezra Clayton Daniels, who recently published the acclaimed graphic novel Upgrade Soul, Andrea Colvin, Vice President and Editor-in-Chief at Lion Forge Comics, writer Karen DeSev, creative producer for the New York Hall of Science, Gerilyn Abenader, and illustrator Charlie LaGreca. What does that crazy panel name mean? Let's find out. All right, hello everyone! Oh yes, look at all of you! Woo! We're gonna party like there's tens of us in this room! Uh, Hello, and welcome to Science Nerds, Turds, and Dead Birds. We're going to talk about digital comics igniting learning. Yes, that is our panel title. We will not apologize. Um, And it intrigued you enough to come into this room, so uh, let's not judge, right? Um, it'll make sense soon enough. You know, I was, I don't know about the rest of you, but I actually started the day at Javits this morning, and, uh, and every presentation that I saw over there usually started with someone running out on the stage and did, like, screaming, Let's do this! But at the library, that feels inappropriate, so if you feel like you need to make some noise by lightly tapping your feet on the ground or golf clapping, then, then that's fine. Um, my name is Brad Barton. I'm the host of the 1.21 Gigawatts podcast, and uh, I've got to say, that I was hoping to see more cosplay also in this room uh, for Comic-Con. Uh, maybe, maybe even, P- yeah, there we go, all right. Um, I, I figured at the library it would be someone dressed as the Dewey Decimal System or something, but uh, we, we on this panel were going to uh, cosplay inspired by our panel title, but there was too much fighting about who would come as a dead bird and who would come as, you get the idea. So we all opted for Science Nerd. Um, I'm joined on this panel by a group of industry professionals from a few different industries actually who all share a passion for storytelling for education for digital interactive comics and for comic books in general Uh, let's meet them now so first is a writer and illustrator based in Los Angeles California whose work has been featured Uh, At animation and comics festivals in Switzerland, the Netherlands, at the Whitney Museum, his new graphic novel Upgrade Soul was the recipient of the Dwayne McDuffie Award for Diversity in Comics, and he's one of the foremost voices and creators in the world of digital comics. Please welcome Ezra Clayton Daniels. Next is the Vice President and Editor-in-Chief at Lionforge Comics. She was previously VP of Content Book Division for Andrews McMeal, where she co-founded the Amp Line of middle-grade graphic novels, Director of Publishing Operations for Open Road Integrated Media, and Executive Managing Editor for Abrams Books. (laughs) Pshh! Andrew, nice. (laughs) And now, serving Lionforge's core mission of creating comics for everyone, please welcome Andrea Colbin. team of people who combined the digital and the educational to create the upcoming interactive comic transmissions gone viral. Let's meet them now. Uh, first is the creative producer at the New York Hall of Science, where she works on projects as diverse as a coding app for kids to immersive interactive spaces about environmental systems. Previously, she led the media production department at the American Museum of Natural History, creating over 100 media experiences, and now she's making funny books with us. Uh, Please welcome Gerilyn (laughs) Abenader. Next is a woman who weaves tales of discovery, innovation, and culture, and pretty groovy bios into experiences that encourage readers to interact with information. She's written for Nat Geo Kids, script for cartoons, museum exhibitions. She strives to include strong female characters in whatever she writes, especially when it comes to science. Amen, sister. Please welcome Karen DeSeb. Skip you. To my left is a man who has spent the last two decades as a creator, organizer, producer, cartoonist, and artistic entrepreneur. He's the co-founder of Comic Book Classroom, one of the original co-founders of Denver Comic Con, and is now the convention director of the Denver Independent Comics and Art Expo. As an illustrator, he's worked for Disney, Nickelodeon, DC Comics, Scholastic, Lego, Top Shelf Comics, and many, many more. And I haven't even mentioned his performance career. Please welcome Charlie Legereca. And the last member of the transmissions team uh, is me, actually. (laughs) When I'm not producing uh, podcasts or hosting panels, I'm the senior creative producer at Blue Telescope. We create multimedia projects through our own alchemy of storytelling, technology, and design, and I was lucky enough to be the project manager for transmissions gone viral guiding the team that created the graphic design user interface and generally brought the interactive elements to life. Uh, That's me, my name is Brad. Uh, And that's our time, thanks for coming everyone. (laughs) Alright, so uh, so let's dive into this. Ezra, I want to start with you because there's a lot of talk about digital comics, we're going to talk a lot about digital comics. Um, So we should probably define the term because the way we at this table Uh, define and think about digital comics is not in reference to reading the latest issues of a traditional print comic ported over onto a tablet Um, i know you've put a lot lot of thought into this topic topic, and i'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the benefits of actual created for digital comics um, and why they're not more
2: readily embraced yet i think it's coming but maybe not yet well i have a lot to say on this subject and i'm (laughs) going to try to keep it really brief Um, so well Okay, where do I begin? <laughs> Upgrade Soul. This is my book. It originally began as an interactive iOS app that was made uh, in collaboration with a developer named Eric Lawyer. Um, and, and the original version of Upgrade Soul launched in 2012. Before um, there were very many interactive comics on iOS devices, um, so we really kind of were pioneers in the field of creating um, comics to be read on a phone. And so one of the one of the core um, strategies that we wanted to embrace was embracing the the actual technological capabilities of the, of the device itself. So one of our core um, beliefs in creating digital comics is that the digital comics should embrace the capabilities of the devices being designed for in the same way that I think we've lectured about this in. Uh, incessantly, <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm going to be pulling from slides that exist in my head, but you won't be able to see, so like, just let me know if it doesn't make any sense. Theater of the mind, everyone. Right, Fear exactly. So one of the examples we use is like, um, you know, people say that the story should always come first, but I think it's actually not true because, um, you know, if you're going to write a book along the lines of War and Peace, you're not going to uh, envision it as like a, um, a piece for skywriting. But they're com- to completely different things, so, so with, with our like our idea behind digital comics was that we should uh, look at all like look at a checklist of all the capabilities of the device and then design something around that so with the phone you've got the accelerometer that allows you to have um, motion control so you can actually see things move when you tilt the device obviously there's sound um, so yeah so we designed upgrade soul as, a, as something that existed beyond a traditional what people usually think of as digital comics was just like a PDF basically that you read on your device um, yeah, I feel like I lost my, my train of thought, but basically, <laughs> but what I want to clarify is that what, the way I define digital comics is, is any comic that's that's consumed on a digital device, and so I think I look at like uh, like a Comicsology comic that uh, is basically just a scanned PDF of a comic, still under the umbrella of digital comics, in the same way that like the film that you're taping of this panel is technically a film, like under the umbrella potentially of cinema, but certainly not what you. Would Considered to be no offense, <laughs> but certainly not like. And then the videographer of, walked out of the room. Right. <laughs> yeah. But not like an example of the pinnacle of cinema. So sure. I think when you're talking about digital comics, it has to be something that, like I said, embraces the technology, uses the technology, and is designed for that technology, uh, and it does something that can't be reproduced in print, too. Right, right, absolutely, that takes advantage of, of yeah. the, the medium. I'm sorry, I feel like I talked a long time without. that. No, 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 it's good, it's good. Um,
0: because that's definitely what we're all going to be seeing as we continue. Andrea, let's talk about educational comics. Um, your experience in this arena is in the consumer market as opposed to, say, uh, not-for-profit or, or the institutional world. Um, can you speak to how and why certain educational comic concepts are selected and produced, and why some art from, from say, the commercial environment. How much is market-driven? How much uh, exists because editorial, it just appeals to you or seems fun?
3: Well, I'm, I'm tempted to say that everything is market-driven, because uh, to, to a certain degree, it is. And I I, um, I say all the time that you know I love my job. I publish comics of all types, including Ezra's, which I'm lucky enough to uh, be publishing. Um, and it helps that they're really good, and I love it, but in, in the grand scheme where it's, it's a commercial enterprise. Um, luckily, uh, the commercial world is really changing right now, or certainly has changed incrementally in the past uh, 10 years, where there uh, now seems to be like, a, a desire for comics that it, if, are not necessarily overtly educational, but certainly are nonfiction. There's Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales. There's uh, the first, second science Comics series. Um, there's, they're actually doing a maker comic series right now. And uh, all of this, the comics like this are seen as, you know, very palatable to parents um, who see them in Target and want to, you know, buy them and, and bring them home. Right. I don't know if I answered that. <laughs> uh, I forgot what it was. <laughs> no, I, I think so, and I
0: think it's telling actually that, that some of the others on the panel started nodding in a way, like even from an institutional perspective, that it's still market-driven in, in some regards because some of the company work. Although,
3: I, can I just throw out there that I do, everything is market-driven, but I do often like to say that everything that has been a huge success in the market has been completely new. Mm-hmm. So there's still opportunities to come up with something that, that the market knows nothing about, you know, like the iPad. Sure,
0: right. Well that's sort of encouraging also to think that like it doesn't necessarily pay to chase trends that you know, originality still counts in, in, in this game. Um, so now let's put the digital and educational components together and talk about transmissions gone viral. I want to briefly explain to the masses um, that the project is an interactive web-based comic book experience created by and for the New York Hall of Science in Queens uh, and then hopefully to a classroom near you. Uh, and it's nearly finished. Uh, Gerilyn, I want to, I know, we started back in 1806. Uh Gerilyn, on stone tablets, <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'd like to know, uh, Gerilyn, how you and the team at NYSCI, since we're talking about platforms, how you arrived on this platform? Why a digital interactive comic to tell this story? I <laughs> forgot
1: this part. I hate microphones, so please excuse me. I'm gonna do my best. Uh, there's a lot of things that went into uh, deciding to make an interactive comic, so I'm gonna start from the beginning and try to, to do it fairly quickly. Uh, Martin Weiss, who's a senior scientist at the New York Hall of Science, wanted to do a comic on evolution and um, he wanted to use the West Nile virus epidemic of 1999 as a way to illustrate how humans and other animals are related because they come from a common ancestor, their physiology is very similar, and they can share the same diseases. So, starting with that idea, we looked at a couple of things. Who's our audience? Harlem Science is located in Corona, Queens. Queens is the most diverse place in the country. Uh, at least 138 languages are spoken there. So for us, it was really important to create something that reflected and resonated with the children in our neighborhood. And this was a book that was gonna be for middle school kids. Um, we wanted, um, the Hall of Science has this philosophy called Design Make Play, which I won't go into describing everything about it, but two key things about Design Make Play were thought about in doing this book. One, is the kids are the, should be the center of the activity they should be empowered to do things and the second thing was that instead of communicating science we wanted it to be exploratory and a discovery process so interactivity was like the perfect format for this because it gave kids something to do Um, the approach of this interactivity was reflected also in how the narrative was constructed as well as how the interactives were created we wanted the kids at the center of the story, so we fictionalized the story. Instead of telling like, I you don't know, in 1999 a bunch of people got sick in New York and crows were dying, uh, we, we made a, a narrative story out of it. these three really fun lovely children at the center of the stories. And um, we also looked at where, what the middle school curriculum was and realized that evolution wasn't really part of that curriculum. So, but what was science inquiry? and evidence, how you dealt with evidence. So we kind of shifted the story to focus on a mystery where kids collected evidence and analyzed it and tried to understand it to solve the mystery. And evolution the homology was, were part of that evidence that they collected or that they used. And uh, we wanted to also support uh, science and language literacy in the story. So what did interactivity give us? It gave us the ability to... Layer on top of this narrative, uh, a way to access science behind the story. So we have infographics that pop up. We have real science images, like bloody guts of birds and brains, which we should have put some kind of disclaimer on I don't know <laughs> that about uh, To tell the real story of what happened in 1999 and to highlight some of the key people who were involved, and also to uh, give the opportunity to kids to. To interact with an open ended exploratory interactive. We have a couple of them in the book. Um, and we went with browser based because New York City school system does not have standardized um, technology. And we wanted this to be accessible to kids to read at home, to classrooms, to after school programs and libraries. So HTML5 gave us that opportunity. It unfortunately limited the kind of interactivity we could have but our brilliant developers, created these really great games that still feel like they're discovery processes and not like, this is right and this is wrong. So, and that's really what we wanted to keep away from. And um, we also prototype like MAD. We uh, constantly prototype look and build a story. We prototype how the characters looked. We'd go back to Charlie multiple times and say, skin color's not right. (laughs) <laughs> you can't have the Mexicans and the Pakistanis looking the same. I mean, it was just like we were totally on top of it. I that. think that's a takeaway
0: we can all hold <laughs> close
1: We were very on top of this. And um, we created a comic in the end that was um, could be used by a kid, or it could be used in a classroom or an after-school program. We have um, a series of materials to go with it that, you know, the instructor or a teacher could use. And
0: so far, so good. So yeah. far, so good. Uh, right, um, Karen. As the project was was starting to come together in the beginning, you were tasked with writing this sixty page beast, uh, and to had to help flesh out the interactive elements, which which I'm guessing is not too typical of your usual writing assignments. Um, what are the challenges of, of ticking off the boxes to cover the important educational content while also um, ensuring that you're writing a story that, at the end of the day, that people want to read? Very good question. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, I'd have to say,
4: first of all, it's really about art, imitating life. Over the weekend, I was playing soccer. And uh, there were indeed turds and dead birds on our really well maintained soccer field. So, just you know, I'm living the dream. That's all I can say. And it really brought me down to, we've grounded this in, real, in a real life experience. <laughs> All right, enough. Said. But in, in, in reality, we have grounded this in a real life experience. Um, so synthesizing everything that the college, New York Hall of Science wanted to do, um, and bring it into an, a narrative did involve a, a, a bit of juggling. And just, you know, if you think about storyboarding this out, you have to include the interactive parts, you have to make a compelling narrative, you have to have characters that people really care about and want to invest their time in. Um, luckily, the story of, of how West Mount virus appeared in New York City, I don't know if people remember this, but in 1990, this is a really compelling story. So it was really good raw material to work with. And in 1999, uh, Queens was, Actually, ground zero for this, and people were getting sick, and the city couldn't figure it out. And there was, there were a couple of scientists who we've based our some of our characters on. Um, one in particular, Tracy McNamara, who was at the Wildlife Conservation Society, who wasn't accepting what the city was telling everyone that this virus was, and and she really kept. She was very tenacious and persevered, and actually was one of the first people to say, like, no, this is something else. And so that's actually the narrative that the kids experience in the story. Um, and to get there, the, the three main characters um, kind of represent three different aspects of basic science inquiry. So you, you've got this little boy, Eduardo, who's got these like crazy what if aliens came down to Earth scenarios. But he's actually that sort of everyman character that comes up with a hypothesis that the story, the story follows. Um, his sister Maria who's really into documenting evidence, and and um, you know organizing that, and um, and then their friend Ronnie, who is really all about analysis, and she's really very well skilled in lab techniques. So um, you know these three things: hypothesis, inquiry, and um, and analysis are really sort of the three basic core elements of you know a scientific experiment, so to speak. So. Um, so that was one aspect, just like bringing the science alive into a compelling narrative, having characters that were similar to kids that live in the neighborhood. Um, these three kids literally live near the science center in the story. And, um, and then also weaving in the 3D elements. So where, where do the pop-ups come up and where do the interactives, like where is that lab interactive where you're looking into a microscope? Um, or seeing the dead birds. (laughs) Um, You know, kids in real life wouldn't be doing a a necropsy in a lab like this, and we did get some pushback from some of the science advisors, but we thought it was really important to empower the kids to that they can actually do science. And when it comes down to analysis, kids are really good at this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, this is really all about inspiring the next generation and, and, and inspiring new scientists. So, um, hopefully, it gives kids a chance to feel like they can be a little hands-on. It's not just flipping pages, they can actually see like, oh, there are steps involved. And, um, you know, even though it's fiction and we took some artistic license, we we did actually ground it in real life experiences.
0: Yeah. it. It sure does. Mm -hmm. And it does. Um, Charlie, Charlie, it's your turn. Um, You've created a small mountain of artwork developing uh, transmissions, and and a lot of time was spent in the beginning refining the look of the characters, specifically the three main kids that we've been talking about, Ronnie, Maria, and her little brother Eduardo, um, the scientifically curious protagonists of the story. Um, Tell me about the process of, of, uh, Geraldine hinted at this a second ago, but tell me about the process of character visualization. Especially in cases where there's a fairly specific audience, uh, or representation that, uh, that we're trying to achieve. And while you talk, um, I'm going to flip through some pages okay. of the books cool. so that everyone can see what right. we're talking
5: about. Um, no, I, I loved the process with you guys. It was really fun to do. Um, I've been fortunate that this is another, I, uh, had worked on another educational project that I just absolutely loved, which was empowering for environmental activism, and now we're getting to do science, and, um, the creation of the characters was really quite a bit of dialogue, which I really enjoyed. I love that you guys didn't, um, weren't afraid of... We gave Ronnie a tiny little nose, uh, plug, ring, and one of the other characters, we gave her a little bit of dyed hair, and you guys were just willing to be like, hey, um, we actually see this as a reflection of what we see happening in, in the boroughs here, and what's going on, and, and we should reflect that and not be afraid of it. And um, So that was, uh, that was an enjoyable aspect. Um, and also the, the costumes, Brad, was, always, was of course, fun. Um, and just uh, getting to, to play around with you guys and discuss how they um, would work.
0: Uh, as we're going through here, we Remember? may or may not be seeing um, uh secrets as to the name of our panel but Karen there is one burning question that everyone wants to know which is why in the world is this called science nerds turns and dead birds <laughs> um some of them hopefully some of it is becoming obvious as we go along science nerds checks uh no there's a dead bird uh yeah um and uh i could just skip right to our our third missing component which is the dog the, pooping, the, and if we want answer. to explore,
1: that. <laughs> that's gross.
0: But it does all, all
4: link back to uh, what Gerilyn was talking about with um, zoonotic diseases, diseases that can transmit from animals to humans, and as we know, that can be found in feces or dead animals or you know things like that. So right. these are you know things that we
0: can find in our <laughs> neighborhood. They are there, absolutely. Um, uh, Andrea, I want to jump back to you, uh, I suspect that, we, so we're talking a little bit here, obviously, about empowering kids as, as characters in the story um, to, uh, to, to be very important to whatever the mission is, primary just not, a, not only for the reader to have someone to identify with, if that's the age group, but. Um, that it's important from a cultural diversity and just a general empowerment perspective. I'm guessing that's a familiar mission statement um, in regards to a lot of the educational comics that you've had a hand in, which is also my uh, completely seamless transition into <laughs> wanting to uh, talk yeah. a little bit about, uh, about Deviant Pearl, digital detective uh, coming soon from Lion Forge. So um, tell us a little bit about that, and I'll so, some pages.
3: Uh... Great, thank you. Of course. So this is uh, a series that we're launching uh, next year from Lion Forge. It's original graphic novels um, in print. Our digital component will be like PDFs. Um, but, oh. <laughs> maybe we can hire you to make it better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the, the concept is, uh, Debbie and Pearl is, is actually a green person. She's uh, part plant. Um, and that's her, uh, Digits is her sidekick there, um, and they, they team up to uh, essentially solve mysteries in this cool kind of future, you know, Blade Runner for kids kind of city. <laughs> um, but uh, the deal with Debian is she's like an old school coder, and no one does coding anymore because they all have these devices. In, in this story called eggs, that they're on all the time, and they're walled gardens, and the devices do stuff for you. So you learn things like what a walled garden is, um, as it relates to digital devices. Um, concepts like uh, what a CPU is, what clock speed is. You get to see what the inside of a computing device looks like. And you get to learn, as in this spread here, um, coding concepts. So in this in this first book, they find this uh, this robot who's who's overclocked its CPU and uh, run amok, and uh, Debian and its punching holes in this arcade where Debian meets digits, and um, Debian realizes that you have to talk to the robot in computer code um, to to get the robot to you know move in the right direction and eventually get it out of the arcade. So it's it's fun because. You know, I, well, it's fun because it's fun, but also we're giving um, kids a familiarity with, with what that code looks like. That is something that I certainly didn't have when I was growing up, and I think a lot of us look at any sort of coding and, and technology as if it's this black box and we don't understand what's inside. So the idea here is to um, at, at least foster some familiarity. With that here for
0: sure and I think as more and more school programs do coding that that some of the mystery of like oh it's not I mean it's a thing obviously I'm not going to sit here in front of my team from blue telescope and say coding's not a thing um, but it but it actually is a little bit more accessible than some people realize the same way that in transmissions some of these scientific processes are more accessible than you'd think that they are it's just sort of a matter of, of diving in and trying them um, Ezra, I want to talk a little bit more about Upgrade Soul. Uh, as you mentioned before, just released from Lion Forge and uh, is already being bestowed with uh, awards. Congratulations on the McDuffie Award. Um, tell us uh, a little bit mo- more about Upgrade Soul, uh, especially its origins as an inter- interactive piece. I know you touched on that a little bit. What, what decisions do you need to make um, as you're going along that just are so far out of the usual comic book production um, pipeline to know that, well, I want to do this, and I know I can get more impact with this panel by saving it for a certain time or
2: sliding it in from a certain direction. Well, again, there's a lot I could say about this. (laughs) But uh, I think, first and foremost, Eric and I, the developer, decided that we wanted to make something that looked and felt like a comic book. And I think um, one pitfall that a lot of digital comics creators fall into is that they make something and they get um, enamored with um, motion effects and uh, voice acting. And they start taking tools from uh, cinema and, and shoving them into the comic book. And I think as a result, their comics feel like, like if you go to a panel of a comic book and there's something moving in that panel and you tap the dialogue bubble and then someone reads the dialogue bubble, then suddenly you've pressed play on an anim- animation and you're sitting back and you're not engaged with it in the same way that you engage with a comic book. I think Scott McCloud says something, I don't remember what the exact quote is, but, but comics basically uh, hinge on the idea of the reader having control over the element of time in the same way that they do in books. And that's what makes comics books because the reader controls the pace at which they consume the thing. So as soon as you introduce something like motion or animation, then it becomes something that's a little bit more like cinema. And if it doesn't then move as you expect, like an animated film to move, then it becomes really disappointing. So I think a lot of us have seen motion comics and like, and you go through a little bit and you're like, this is cool, but I'm kind of just watching this thing. I feel like I'd rather just watch a cartoon that's actually animated. Um, so that was the one thing that we wanted to do. So we definitely didn't want to do any um, voice acting. No motion happens in the comic that isn't directly controlled by the user. So all the animations you saw, they were all happening because the user was swiping. And the 3D effect that you saw, where it looks like you're looking at a picture box, that's what's tied to the accelerometer in the device. So as you move the device around, it makes it look like you're looking into depth.
0: And, and obviously
2: on the screen you're seeing a diagram of that. It's, it's, yeah, almo- right. it's
0: almost like a like a multiplane animation camera effect in in a way um, right, exactly. with just different layers.
2: Right, so when we were developing Upgrade Soul, uh, you know, to your question about the pipeline, um, we knew that doing this comic digitally was going to be a huge risk and that it might not catch on. So I wanted to build into the process the ability to export it to um, just flat pages so we could then print it as a book. So every panel in the book is actually illustrated in a Photoshop file that's set to standard comic book size, but all the panels are just drawn with all these layers. So basically, I sent the developer, Eric, these layered files, and then he was just able to pull out the layers and put it into the thing. But then when we went to the print version, I just exported all those same Photoshop files as flattened TIFF files or whatever, and then went straight to press. Nice. Excellent. Um,
0: uh, as suspected already, time is roaring, roaring, roaring past, and I want to make sure that if anyone has any questions that uh, we have a second for that. Um, so if you do, put your hand in the air, um, and if you want to think about that, that's fine. Uh, I would actually like to jump back to transmissions and share some of the interactive uh, bits a little bit specifically. You saw some of the pages, but not really some of um, the, the fun uh, moving bits every once in a while, which are different from Ezra's, but still a really interesting way to approach the story a little bit. Um, yeah.
1: I just wanted to say something about the interactives because it's right off of what Ezra was saying. Uh, What was really important to us is that the interactive was not compulsory to get through the narrative. Like there are some books where you have to stop and do something or you don't get to the next page. They were add-ons and they were ways for kids to make the choice if they wanted to participate or not, they wanted to get information or not. And and we wanted them to be fun and something that enhanced and layered more information into the story.
0: Would you like to talk about anything in specific? I can click through here, and uh, okay. for example, like I know that we've got a blog. Yeah. Uh, so these are the
1: pictures Maria's taking throughout the story, and uh, when they start analyzing evidence, they go back to the blog images, and they're put on an interactive whiteboard in the lab. So the the reader can actually access the blog at any time but you only get to see the pictures from where you on, are in the story and earlier. You don't get to see future pictures. Right,
0: for, for sort of a cool reveal as it's going through. So like you're going through, you don't have any additional clues that they don't have, uh, right, as, as, you, as you're clicking through with everything then being selectable, so.
5: And Brad, this was really cool too, because it really does add depth to the story, but then also the clues and the science of it, which is a really cool discovery for me, because I didn't know what we were doing at first, and they asked for extra little illustrations or something. <laughs> What is this, you know? Because I've never worked in like, a different digital form. I've always just done comics on the page. Um, so this was a new evolution for me, which was, I can't wait to see how it <coughs> finishes because it's yeah. so much more interactive and playing with the idea of what digital you can do. Well,
0: we felt it was important to keep you in the dark as much as possible.
5: <laughs> 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 they kept me in a closet,
0: actually. Uh, that's that's right um i you know one one that I like specifically uh I'm jumping to a a map interactive which um uh really appeals to me in that um, so so as mentioned before, there's some sort of mini activities mini games in a way for for lack of a, a more elegant way of phrasing it right now um, that the kids go through and and one of them uh, is this map activity where uh where they, the, the kids can select, as you see here, map the evidence, so they'll choose um, from a map, they can choose mosquitoes and rat poison and garbage or whatever, as they're trying to put together this mystery. Um, and, and, sort of the, and then you can you know, zoom in and check out what some of these images are, and again, as I mentioned, work in progress. But one of the cool things about this is I realize, as we're going through, even sometimes in our office, someone says, well, how do you win this game? Like, well, that's the point. You don't, because it's about scientific process and sort of punching your way through um, and realizing there isn't an answer to be had at this point. Um, the, the way you win this is to buy, th- just to throw out crazy hypotheses in a way. Um, is it, is it uh, predators and squirrels and mosquitoes? I don't know, uh, but we'll find out. And sometimes by eliminating these things, that's, that's the process, right? Uh, see, I've been paying attention all this time. Um, uh, I know again we're we're really close, so if anyone has a question, now is the time. Any hands, any hands, any hands. Yes. Is there gonna be a way for us to
3: like look for these things? Like it's just is I'm there... trying to find
2: sure. these things on the computer and I can't.
0: Is there a way to find these things? Well, uh we, we can say <laughs> it's all fake. Ezra's hand rockets into the air. Okay.
2: Yes, okay. just start okay. kicking off. Yeah. Uh yeah, so like I said I've I've lectured about interactive comics a lot and I've gone to Europe a few times to lecture and I made a, a really great connection with this company called Submarine, based out of Amsterdam. And together with Submarine, we created this website called screendiver.com. This is about interactive comics in general, not specifically educational comics, but if you're interested, interested in seeing other approaches to digital comics, the website that we made um, is basically, we pitched it as an IMDB for digital comics. So it's a directory of like the most interesting digital comics that are pushed the envelope. It's called screendiver.com. And I wrote a manifesto based on our experiences um, from Upgrade Soul, and that manifesto is the central, um, like the core of the website. Um, but we've it's constantly being updated with new projects, and there's probably about thirty or forty like really great killer digital comics uh, on that site to check out. Are
1: you going to add ours?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah,
5: and you guys should check it out because there's some really amazing, arresting yeah. digital yeah. stuff oh, I've actually. never seen done in comics, and was blown away. You'll you'll wait. You'll not waste you spend a lot of hours
2: but I'll say one other thing really quickly I don't want to take up too much time but one of the things one of the tenets of the manifesto is that um, these things are difficult to find like you just said because everybody's trying to coin these proprietary terms so like some companies call them cyber comics or motion comics or motion books so if you find something you like and you're like I want to find more stuff like this it's really impossible to find it especially if they got this this term so that's why I advocate for the use of digital comics as the umbrella term and then even if that encompasses PDFs read right on the computer, it's still an easier thing for people to, to search for.
1: Um, also, the transmissions gone viral will be available on the New York Hall of Science website. And it also available, downloadable, is the educational materials that will, are being developed right now.
5: Someone just said when. when.
0: <laughs> Geraldine looks to the producer of the project. <laughs> okay, um, uh, I'll will do this. Hey, Charlie. I
5: better I'm keep drawing. I gotta no, go. No, um, uh, we're doing the coloring. We're finishing up the coloring. Yeah, we're, we're five? finishing up
0: coloring exactly. If we were to continue clicking through the book right now, you'd see two two chapters that are not colored right, right now. Right, chapter yeah. four of five is being colored. Right. Uh, chapter five, hot on its heels, one yeah, chapter that has yeah. to be lettered. Um, right. Most of the interactives are pretty much done. Um, which means it should only be like three more years, right? Yeah. No. Um, probably within, within the next few months. If that's the place to, to start looking to answer your question more directly, um, checking the, the New York Hall of Science website, um, because we are going to be screaming this from them rooftops when, when, we're, when we're done. Uh, yes, sir, who I've never met before, absolutely. One
5: of the um,
1: novel aspects of Transmission's project, is that we have educational goals, mm-hmm. and a good deal of our time and effort was testing that we were attaining these goals with our audience. And I'm wondering if Gerald you want to talk a little bit about that? Martin Weiss, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> the person who originated this project. Actually, we did. We did research with kids constantly. We uh, tested the look and feel of the comics, the interactives, uh, the the narrative. We researched the subject in depth, we talked to the specialists who were involved in the original epidemic, we went to the lab at WCS and uh, took a lot of pictures and got information from the folks there, and then we worked with teachers, and the teachers worked very closely with us. We had teachers from all different kinds of subjects, science, social studies, language arts, and they worked with us on developing the materials that would aid any instructor after school person to work with kids around this these concepts so we were pretty in depth on that
4: but one other thing about that is that it's not just for classrooms I mean this is uh... I've shown it to my kids who actually thought the title was Science Nerds Turds and Dead Birds and and then they're waiting for that book to come out now but um, but anyone can download this, and you don't have to have the um, educational materials to go along with it. And it's, as I said, like, it's it's a pretty fun story.
5: And if I, would, if I could quickly add, just on top of that, that I always really loved that you guys didn't steer away from, like, showing the guts. And so I was like, really? We're going to show the guts? Really? You guys want more blood? And that was, that was kind of neat, seeing that, like, oh, okay. It took me back to when I was 12, dissecting frogs and not being afraid of that, and teachers who were like, yeah, this is... There's nothing, it's educational, you know?
1: Some of my comments were like, the lab color, the wall is bad. Right. Right. (laughs) There's not enough blood in that picture. Or
0: blood. More blood. Well, as, as we wrap up, I could, I think, easily go for at least twice as long. I feel like we barely scratched the surface of some of this stuff. But um, in addition to some of the websites that were mentioned a second ago, here are other places where you can find um, some of us as individuals. Um, uh, Lionforge Booth, 1936, if you're going over to Javits. NYSCI.org, uh, BlueTelescope.com, the company that is producing this thing. Um, creative Content Studio is Karen. Um, and uh, 1.21 gigawatts.com is me um, and uh, thank you so much for coming in we really appreciate the time we actually do have a couple goodies up here and postcards yes. another educational project that
5: I brought Charlie some of my on. environmental justice comics if anyone wants to read them please come check them out they were uh, done as a grant through CUNY and uh, the EPA so come grab some
0: and that is us thank you everyone thanks for coming yeah. As you heard, at a few points during the discussion, we're referencing some visuals on a screen at the panel, and visuals make for great podcasting. So here's where you can see, explore, and interact with these projects. Transmissions Gone Viral will be available to consume, hopefully by the end of 2018, via the New York Hall of Science website. That's NYSCI.org. Interactive development by Blue Telescope at blue-telescope.com. Ezra's award-winning Upgrade Soul is now available in print, and you can check out examples of the digital version at Screendiver.com. And watch for Debbie and Pearl from Lionforge Comics coming in print in 2019. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests, Gerilyn Abenator, Karen DeSev, Charlie LaGreca, Andrea Colvin, and Ezra Clayton Daniels for their info and insights. Thanks also to the folks at New York Comic Con and the New York Public Library for hosting the panel. And thanks to Eric Bolomo for immortalizing the conversation via audio and video. Yes, a video peek at the panel will be coming along soon. And thanks of course to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like and what deserves to get cast aside like Iron Fist or Luke Cage on Netflix? I can't get past it. Oh, the humanity. You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121 gigawatts and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Geekawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get the to www121 geekowattscom and wallow in the nerdliness. I don't know if you're aware of this, but every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes store. It is so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. You know what I'd really appreciate? Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good review, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show, because that's how computer algorithms work apparently if you're not an itunes user you can also find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on player fm you clearly found us on one of those platforms so congratulations browse the episodes listed there and check out another one i'll even make a recommendation if you enjoyed the panel discussion from this episode you may be interested to know that this is not illustrator charlie Legreca’s first appearance on this podcast i teased his performance career during his panel intro and a very different version of charlie rockstar charlie can be heard along with his bandmates in h2 awesome they can be heard in episode number 11 of 1.21 Gigawatts. give it a listen as soon as you finish this one huge gratitude to the titan of the Tapehead, composer and my co-producer david cisco you are and remain The finest person I know, Cisco. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. All of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago. And let people know that you're listening. Help us spread the word, would ya? I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's the aforementioned nerd rock band H2 Awesome rocking out our theme song live. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. 1.21
3: 1.21 gigawatts whatever geek wants is what we got from doctor who to aqua you might meet luke and leia's dad pop culture that is super rad hosted by some guy named brad Me. it'll rock you to your nylon cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts.
0: I'm the immortal iron fist. Weapon of Kun And I'm fulfilling my destiny.